0: from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So today we are picking up again our Advent series, Maranatha. You may recall that Maranatha is an Aramaic word, and it is, uh, it's a unique word because it has two different meanings. It has the meaning of The Lord has come, past tense, and come, Lord, looking ahead to the future. It's a wonderful word in that it has both that that look back upon what God has done for us in the past and looking ahead with expectation of what God will do for us. How God has sent his Son, the Messiah, Jesus, to be our Savior, and yet we still look ahead to the future to that glorious eschatological coming when the Lord Jesus will redeem all of creation. It's especially appropriate during the season of Advent because during Advent we are looking back and we are looking forward at the same time. Our hearts go back to Christmases of years gone by. Christmases spent with our loved ones and our families and all the wonderful times we've had even while we're making all those last-minute preparations for This year's Christmas, just a few days away. So Advent has that back appreciation and forward expectation aspect to it. But in that sense, I think Advent is a microcosm of every day of our life. Because we live in a a tension between what was and what shall be. We are not who we were, and we are not yet who we shall be. Things aren't the way they are, and things aren't the way they shall be. We live in this tension, and we talked the first week about living in the tension between memory and hope. Then we talked about what it's like to be a faithful person living in tension between brokenness and wholeness. Today I want to talk about a faith for living between alienation and reconciliation. One of my favorite things about this time of year, and I'm betting for some of you too, is all the great Christmas movies, right? Don't you love seeing the Christmas movies? Now, maybe you like the classics like uh, White Christmas with Bing Crosby or or Miracle on 34th Street, or, or maybe you like some of the newer ones like Elf or Christmas Story. My favorite, and I will make a case, the best Christmas movie of all time, has got to be the original Home Alone. It is the Christmas movie. And I'll tell you why. Because the story of Christmas is a central theme within this movie. Okay, now most of us think of Home Alone as a comedy, but it's not. It's a very funny tragedy. It is a story about a broken family. It's a story about alienation. It's a story about separation. We've got a a young boy who is neglected and overlooked by his family. He feels separation from his family. He's bullied by his brother. It's a brokenness that this family has experienced, and so broken indeed that in their hurry to get to Paris for the perfect Christmas, they go off without their precious son, estrangement, brokenness, and alienation. Now, through the movie, and yes, there are some wonderful slapstick comedic um, uh, bad guys, criminals, who make it a fun movie to watch. But the real point of the story happens on Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve, that afternoon, just before the big escapade that night, when the criminals are going to break in the house, little Kevin, played by Macaulay Calkins, goes to church. He figures a little prayer couldn't hurt, right? So he goes to church, and the children's choir is rehearsing. And while he's sitting there praying, old man Marley comes and sits next to him. Now, old man Marley has a reputation. He's known as the Shovel Slayer. And old man Marley comes and sits next to Kevin, And they have this wonderful conversation about faith and family and love and forgiveness and reconciliation. And old man Marley helps to change Kevin's opinion about his family, as imperfect as they are. And Kevin challenges old man Marley to reach out to his daughter, to extend an olive branch and reconcile with his family, who he has not seen. In fact, the reason he's in church is the children's choir is practicing. And it's the only chance he has to see his granddaughter at Christmas while she's up there rehearsing. So they challenge each other to move beyond the estrangement and alienation and brokenness of their families to seek reunion, reconciliation, and let love bind their wounds. Now, of course, at the great climax of the movie, Kevin's family comes home and, and they're all lovey-dovey and, and, and the family hasn't changed so much. But Kevin has and how he appreciates and how he experiences his family. But the most critical moment is when Kevin looks out the window and there's old man Marley hugging the daughter that he was separated from, the daughter that he had held a grudge, the daughter that, that he had not seen forever, hugging her reunited on Christmas Day. See, that's what Christmas is about. It's not about miracles on 34th Street. It's not about Santa's workshop. It's not about Frosty or Rudolph. It's about God's work of reconciliation in the world. Listen to how the Apostle Paul talks about it in his second letter to the Corinthians. Now, I'm reading today from uh, beginning in the fifth chapter. Listen for God's word to us. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave hope us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. My friends, the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks. Thanks for the wonderful blessing that comes to us in the reading and hearing of your sacred word. I pray that your spirit would rest upon me Guide my thoughts. Remove from my lips any words but your own, that with faithfulness and with integrity I might proclaim the wonderful good news of your redeeming love. Amen. Have you ever noticed how, in this world we live in, there always seem to be competing forces? Whether it's in the field of politics or geography, or human relations, even science. There's competing for it. Think back to your high school physics, okay? Remember that things in a rotating frame of reference, and everything's in a rotating frame of reference because we are living on this little rock that is spinning on an axle as it revolves around the sun that's hurling through space, right? So everything's in a rotating frame of reference. Everything's spinning. Things in a spinning frame of reference have two forces that act upon them. One we refer to as centripetal forces, and one we call centrifugal forces. Now, the centripetal forces are things that are are acting to, to pull us together and to make us tighter and closer and draw us inward, things like gravity. Centrifugal forces are those forces that push outward, and they seek to blow it all up and to push it out and to expand it and send things flying in all different directions. Remember that ride at, the, uh, at Six Flags where you're in a big barrel and you spin around and you get plastered against the. That's the centrifugal forces pushing you out. Everything has these forces at work pushing out and pushing in. Well, this is true spiritually as well. We have these spiritual forces. Some are pushing in and some are pushing out. The forces pushing in we call reconciliation. The forces pushing out we call alienation. <clears throat> alienation. And these forces are in a balance in this world until Christmas Day. You see, my friends, on Christmas Day, God acted decisively to upset the balance of power to upend the status quo. It's as though God put his toe on the scale of judgment in favor of reconciliation over the powers of alienation. That's what Christmas is about. It's about God deciding that God was not content any longer with the separation and estrangement from God's people since as far back as anyone could remember. We had this sense of of being separated from God. We had this sense of estrangement. There was a a chasm we could not bridge. There was a gap that couldn't be filled. We could not be home with God. And people started inventing all sorts of religions and philosophies and, and rituals and sacrifices and all sorts of things to try to bridge that gap, to try to be reunited and reconciled with God, to try to be in God's loving embrace at home once again. And nothing could bridge that chasm Until Christmas Day, when God sent His Son, Jesus, into the world for one purpose and one purpose only. To bridge that gap, to break down the barriers, to wipe away whatever obstacles there were separating us from God. And the greatest obstacle, of course, was our sin. Jesus went to the cross, died for our sins, so that the final obstacle between us and God, that which kept us apart from our loving creator, would finally be resolved, would be wiped away, and we could be reconciled to God. That's what Christmas is about. Now, we love to talk about that. We love to talk about God's reconciling love. It reminds me of a story that I read a couple places about at right near the end of World War II in southern Italy. Now, I'm going to tell you, I've read this a couple of places, and it's always attributed to a different town. So, I'm not even going to speculate on which town it actually took place in. But as the story goes, near the end of World War II in southern Italy, there was a battle to liberate this Italian town, this village, that was successful. But many Americans died in the battle. And the local townspeople and the local priest wanted to give the American soldiers who had died a proper burial. They wanted to honor these soldiers who had liberated their town. But the bishop would not allow non-Catholics to be buried in the consecrated grounds of the Roman Catholic cemetery. So what they did was they went over to the far end of the cemetery and inside the fence, they buried the Roman Catholic soldiers and two, three feet away outside the fence, they buried the Protestant and Jewish soldiers. So that they were still together, but some were inside the fence and some were outside the fence. Then, as the story goes, that very night under the cover of darkness, the priest and the townspeople reassembled and they moved the fence. Because they understood that in Christ there is no separation. Friends, God is a fence mover. God sent his son into the world to move the fences, to do away with the boundaries, to tear down the walls, all those things that divide and separate and estrange us, all those things that make us see the other as other. They're not like me, I'm not like him, I'm right, they're wrong, I'm this, they're that. All those superficial things that we lift up and and make huge, God sent his son into the world to destroy that, especially the dividing wall of sin that keeps us from being reconciled to God. God removed the barriers. God moved the fences so that we could be at home in the sacred grounds of God's love. We love to talk about God's redeeming work, but the Apostle Paul always goes a little farther, doesn't he, than what we're truly comfortable with. It would have been great if the story stopped there. But Paul says that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. God has called us to be participants, partners, co-workers, Paul says, in God's redeeming work. We are called to take upon ourselves the ministry of, of reconciliation. We are to fight against those centrifugal forces of the Spirit that divide people, that separate, segregate, estrange, and alienate people. We are called to be the people that bring it all together, that find ways to, to bridge the differences, that embrace our oneness in Christ and with each other, that recognizes My brother in you and my sister in you, we have a ministry of reconciliation. Some of you are probably old enough, and I'm looking at you, Patton, probably old enough to remember a guy named Hubert Humphrey. Remember Hubert? Hubert was vice president when Lyndon Johnson was president, okay? Senator from Minnesota. Minnesota. Long, I think he served like 40 years in the government. Well, he died in 1978. And as is the custom, they had a huge memorial service for him in the Rotunda at, at um, um, Congress up in uh, Washington, D.C. Huge event. Everybody who was anybody was there. Politicians, socialites, family friends, wannabe, this is the press. You name it. everybody was there. It was a big event. And one person also showed up disgraced former President Richard Nixon. Now, this wasn't that long after the whole Watergate scandal. And Nixon had kept a very low profile, had stayed out of the public eye, and he showed up, and he sat alone on the far side of the rotunda, all by himself. According to the accounts, no one would talk to him. No one, was, no one wanted to take the risk of somebody getting a photograph of them with Nixon and it showing up in the newspaper. So here's this man sitting all alone on the side of the room until President Jimmy Carter, perhaps the most godly and Christian man ever to sit in the Oval Office, President Carter walked over to Richard Nixon, extended his hand, and thanked him for coming to this service. Biographers of Nixon say that moment changed the rest of Richard Nixon's life. He had been depressed depressed and despondent, without hope, and that simple act of Jimmy Carter going over and shaking his hand and talking to him in public gave Nixon hope that there was redemption, that there was forgiveness, that there was a future for his life. Jimmy Carter understood that it's not just about us being reconciled to God. It's about us taking on ourselves Christ's ministry of reconciliation so that we become the peacemakers of this world. We become the uniters of this world. We become the reconcilers and the bridge builders of this world. That's what we are called to do as disciples of Jesus Christ. Some of you, I'm sure you've seen bumper stickers and, and now they post postings on Facebook and these things that say, keep Christ in Christmas. Well, I'm not always sure exactly what they're talking about, and, and I, I, I think that various people have different agendas for posting that. But here's what I think it means to keep Christ in Christmas. If Christmas is really about God sending his son, Jesus, into the world, to die for the forgiveness of our sins, to be the reconciler between us and God. And if it is true that we as the body of Christ in the world today are called to take upon ourselves Christ's ministry of reconciliation, then to keep Christ in Christmas means to be someone who forgives others. To be someone who finds ways to build bridges to people who are different from us, who have different opinions and different experiences and different agendas. It means we are the reconcilers and the uniters of the world. We are the centripetal force that works to bring the world together, united in Christ, as brothers and sisters, one. The ministry of reconciliation, my friends. That is what it means to keep Christ in Christmas. Amen.